It's Tuesday the 5th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host with the most, former Australian cricketer Shane Lee. How are you? Mate, I'm good, mate. I'm out of lockdown here on the northern beaches now, but it's still school holidays, so lots happening at home here. Yeah, do you reckon the school holidays are about five or six weeks too long? I don't know, mate. The more you pay these schools, the more they're at home, mate. So anyway, we'll deal with that. It's a challenge. It's not easy to deal with. <laughs> I think most parents listening in know exactly what we're saying. Look, today we've got a huge show. We're just about to talk a little bit of cricket and some actually some catches stuck last night. Jaslyn Hewitt, Rob Gilbert will be with us to discuss other sports and there's so much going on in this early part of 2021. Let's get going. All right, let's have a look at the Big Bash straight up and uh, the Brisbane Heat, Darren Lehman, he's starting to smile. They're getting some wins on the board. They have. Chris Lynn came back into the team, scoring 30 of just 16 balls, hitting some massive sixes. Some pretty poor bowling by the Thunder. Um, yeah, they're bowling short and wide with, uh, with fields that don't really support the bowlers. Um, they brought Sanger on late. He took three for 40, only 3.1 overs, a young leg spinner. But um, yeah, the Heat looking good, three wins in a row. And guess what? Joey Burns scored 50, mate. Yeah, Joe Burns, he couldn't get a run in a stock in the test matches and, and uh, he was smacking them all over the place uh, last night. I'd walked away and come back. We had a couple of people over. My son's a big Thunder fan. He said, oh, Joe Burns, look at him. He couldn't get any runs in the test. Now he's killing us in the Thunder. Anyway, so that was that. Uh, so the Heat, well done there. The Stells, the Stars got the chocolates and uh, some really good catches against the Hobart Hurricanes. Mate, it's been a summer of, of drop catches and um, Andre Fletcher, they call him the Spice Man, took probably two of the best mm. catches I've ever seen. But yeah, a really good win by the Stars. Stoinis, 97 not out, um, taking down the Hurricanes. And uh, you know, the best bowler was probably Nathan Ellis, taking three for 31. But all in all, um, I think if you want to sum- summarise the two matches yesterday, it was probably... Pretty poor bowling from all four teams. and uh, But, yeah, so the Thunder uh, is still up there, but uh, on a bit of a losing streak. And as you said, the Heat coming back now with four wins in a row. Yeah, down to 9,500 fans a day at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I suppose with all the pressure and all the talk, it's – uh, it's what they needed to do, but it sort of comes at the same time that I think, you know, New South Wales had no new cases yesterday. No, that's good news and uh, going ahead. And I think the players have all arrived here in Sydney now and uh, they'll go into the, 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 the real p- uh, preparation mode for this test match. A little bit of rain about, they reckon, but uh, I think we're going to see, you know, four or five days of really, really good cricket here. And, you know, with a series level at one game apiece, um, the first session of this test match is going to be really interesting. A, a lot of talk uh, coming out of the Indian camp that they don't want to go to Queensland. They're saying it's because they don't want to go into this strict bubble. Uh, others, many critics, are saying they don't want to play in Brisbane because it has not been a very happy hunting ground for visiting teams. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's really that. I think it's more you know, the whole bubble fatigue and um, going in there with strict lockdown. It's really, really tough. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Teams have had a really poor record of playing at the Gabba, but uh, I think it would actually suit the the Indians up there. So I don't think they're really worried about that. It's more, you know, that the real strict lockdown uh, conditions put on them by the Queensland government. So let's deal with this the, the third test first and see how that goes. And uh, look, the good news is I'm, I'm a Sydney sider, so I might get two tests here this year, which would be great. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned uh, the, the conditions could suit them. A guy like Boomer, he could bowl anyway, couldn't we? And the Gabbard would just suit him. Anyway, we'll wait and see what happens there. Did you see that uh, amazing footage of Tyler Wright and Mikey Wright save that person from the surf 
in Hawaii the other day. Yeah, mate, that was unbelievable. It was out of the blue, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? Well, last night on 2GB, I was uh, co-hosting the Wide World of Sports Show with your former teammate, Mark Taylor, and we actually uh, crossed live to the brother-sister combination, Mikey and Tyler Wright. Here's a bit of it. How are you, guys? Good, how you doing? Yeah, good. How you going? <laughs> Real good. You sound very relaxed, both of you there. How's, firstly, how's Hawaii going? And secondly, how have you, you come down from your new hero status, which you now have? Yeah, it's been a good time so far, and it's uh, definitely been a bit different. You know, I didn't didn't see the uh, New Year's Eve drinking antics turn into that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It has been a pretty um, it was a pretty unpredictable 2020, and, min- and finished with a nice old twist for you guys. Thankfully, it, it finished well. Tyler, how do you remember those? Say, what was it? About 20 minutes to half an hour. It all happened pretty quick, but we had music on. We'll have a barbecue, and then. We saw this woman, we saw the surge come in and we're like, oh, this could be really interesting. You know, and sometimes you're in the situation where, you know, people get all their gear wet and it's like, it's not funny, but sometimes it can be a little bit funny. And then obviously the situation escalated within about 10 seconds from when it started to uh, really intensify it. And yeah, Mike jumped into action really quick and I followed him over the fence and yeah, he, the vision from there. There's so many times in Hawaii you see a wave wash up and just wet everyone's clothes and, you know, it's a non-risk situation. So (laughs) I kind of thought it was going to be funny and then it went from, you know, no risk to actually this, this, you know, this lady's life's in danger and, you know, jumped into action pretty quick. And and how did you and her come out of the ordeal? Because I I I believe it was like a reef or a a fairly shallow area that she'd been washed off the rocks. How have you recovered? Any any scars, marks on you? For where we were, it's all volcanic rock. It's quite shallow and um, it drags into deeper water there. But, you know, it's for that area and how big the conditions were and we actually came away pretty lucky um you know it so happened to be when i actually jumped in there was the the set had just ended so you know she had copped most of the brunt and you know she she did have a fair few scratches and stuff you know i i got away with minor scratches down my back and and on my hip but i I kind of did put my body in front of her for that reason because she'd already been out there Mm. for you know a period of time and, and was going under and coming back up and, and getting smashed into the rocks. So, I thought the way that you worked together was really interesting because you guys, you know, growing up in Colborough, down on the south coast, you've you lived your life on the surf. And, Tyler, you stayed on land, he went in, and you worked together as a team. Yeah, I think that's an old, well, maybe even today, I don't know, we just learned it when we were younger to do that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, one goes in, and uh, one stays on the beach to, to direct and uh, c- continue to assess the situation. And if there's any drastic changes in where the person is, or yeah, yeah, as, yeah, as if there's a wave doubling up yeah. behind, like that and was that's... a clear, that was a clear indication of you know the only reason why I knew that there was a double up and to grab her and jump and you know turn so she was you know yeah. not taking the impact was only because Tyler was doing exactly that, you know, directing yeah. traffic from, you know, directing it and, and letting us know, like, yelling out, like, hey, there's a double up, there's a double up. Yeah, which means, like, yeah, it just means the course of action Mikey took yeah. can change on that. Instead of going under the wave, he jumped into it because we know how to read um, each mm. other well enough to know as well, just kind of feed off each other. 
obviously well done to both. It was it was it was a said harrowing footage to watch, but you did brilliantly well. And Tyler, it was an interesting end to a, to a very well a great week for you, like a, the first woman to win the uh, the Roxy Pro in in Hawaii. Tell us a bit about that to to come back after what nearly two years out of the uh, off the scene yeah. and, and to win the the Roxy Pro must have been something extremely special. Look, it was a wild few weeks, that's for sure. We, you know, we were in Maui and then devastatingly through tragedy, we had to move to uh, the North Shore and we got an opportunity through that to surf pipe. And yeah, I, you know, all the kind of hard work that we put in and yeah, ended up winning, which is pretty cool. But yeah, it's been a long time, like two and a half years out. It's, I think I was still processing that. And, you know, I was taking a well-deserved break and, you know, having a couple of cocktails before this happened. But yeah. <laughs> um, it was really enjoyable and um, I think a massive moment for women surfing and more quality in our sport. Mikey and Tyler Wright, what an extraordinary story. And uh, thankfully they were there that day when that, that moment happened. Just unbelievable. Coming up next, Rob Gilbert and what is going on at Richmond. Afternoon sport. Well, there's a lot to talk to this bloke about. Rob Gilbert, uh, based in Melbourne. How are you, Rob? Good, Timmy. Good, Shane. How are you, boys? Good, mate. Excellent. Let's start with this Damien Hardwick story. Of course, the coach of the the mighty Richmond Footy Club. They've had such success. But uh, this... Looks salacious. It's a dramatic story. Tell me, tell me what you know and where you think it's going to go. It is a story that is unusual in terms of the fact that it's made it to the front page of the local newspapers. Both the Herald Sun and the Age are carrying the story. Uh, it's flown around for the past forty-eight hours, and it's come out of the premiership-winning side. And it's also come off the back of of him recently announcing. Uh, his separation from his his wife and the mother of his three kids. Now, the issue here in terms of its context is that he's the senior coach and we're talking about a junior staff uh, around 20 years younger than him. Now, we all know what's going on in the Me Too movement. Um, the power imbalance in relationships in organisations is a common discussion point and it has seen in many organisations, the departure of one or both staff members. So at the moment, we're hearing from Richmond that they've ticked off the relationship, but this story's only just started. So I'll be interested to see what some of the heavyweight opinion writers of the AFL have to say and uh, and whether there will be more to this. So it may go away. There may be nothing to see here. It might be just a situation where husband and wife uh, have, um, have gone their separate ways. And if that's the case, then... Um, good luck to everyone. But if it's not, if there is something more, and we only say that in the context of the fact that we are living in the Me Too era, that um, I think that there's probably more uh, legs in this story just yet. Yeah, and to give it context, that particular uh, environment, whether it be in business, whether it be in sport, um, if someone is a senior person and they have, and we're just sort of going with what we've heard so far, but if there is some sort of relationship that goes on with someone who is lower down the chain, so to speak, in in the work environment, there can be issues. And uh, I'm sure knowing the news cycle in Melbourne, particularly in and around AFL, if there's something to be got, it will be got. 
I agree 100%. And that's why I think there's more to it. And we may be uh, discussing this one next week again. Rob, the other day we had Drew Jones from Fox Sports on the show. And he was saying that he thought Dustin Martin is up there, one of the best players of all time. What do you reckon? Is he actually a contender to be the greatest player of all time? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, my view on best players of all time in any sport is that uh, any player who was elite in any era uh, transfer them to the modern era and they will be elite. So I, I, I uh, measure greatness based on that yardstick. So on that yardstick, you then have to say, uh, what are the, the measures of a great player? Are they consistency over multiple seasons? Are they winning the ultimate titles? Are they winning the, the best player over the course of a season? Are they winning best on ground in multiple premierships? And those boxes are all ticked with Dustin Martin. So there can't be any question at all about whether he fits in the discussion of the greatest of all time. Uh, in terms of the greatest final players, again, similar yardstick for me. But let's talk about the modern era. You mentioned Lee Matthews already. The only other players who'd had multiple or won multiple Norm Smith medals best on ground in the grand final prior to Martin were Andrew McLeod at Adelaide in 97-98, Hawthorne, their five-time premiership player, Gary Ayres in 86 and 88, and uh, and. Of course, um, Luke Hodge, who uh, went through the uh, the ultimate era of Hawthorne uh, in the, the late 2000s, early 2000s, so early 2010s. So th- those yardsticks are all met by Martin. And, and the fact that he's only 28 suggests that uh, there is a lot more to come here. So I, I think the discussion is a worthy one. Um, the only concerns I have, uh, and he's generally been a pretty straight shooter of, um, of field, but there was a story a couple of weeks ago that we did see in the, the press that seemed to fly under the radar with him and uh, Buddy Franklin getting uh, wrapped over the knuckles by the AFL for uh, uh, being at a, a social event with Eddie Hayson. And uh, anyone who um, follows uh, the news in this country will know that Eddie Hayson is a notorious uh, former brothel owner, big-time gambler, uh, and uh, um, not the type of individual that sporting organisations want their players consorting with. Yeah, not a good look sometimes. Uh, What about Cameron Smith, Rob? You've covered his career, like I have, since day dot, since it began. Um, What happens next? Uh, Does he retire and live comfortably on the Gold Coast or Sunshine Coast in Queensland where he, uh, well, I know he grew up in Logan, but uh, Queensland, as we know, that's where his his roots are. Or or does he have another year at at, at either the Gold Coast or Brisbane? Trying to pick Cameron Smith's movements is like trying to catch Mercury, isn't it, boys? Um, He is an enigma. He is a guy who will hold his cards close to his chest until he's uh, well and truly ready to make his own decision. As you said, I've been in Melbourne since 1998, and I remember when Richard Swain was the uh, one of the first picked in in that uh, side of superstars in the early days, premiership winning hooker in their 99 premiership side. When he was cut, everyone uh, in Melbourne was thinking, who is this Cameron Smith? They've, they've let Richard Swain go because uh, uh, of this unknown quantity. Well, he's proved himself over the years, hasn't he? And, uh, um, and, and the question is, will he stay on and play football? Ball. Uh, I think the decision has been made about Melbourne. Uh, Jerry Ryan, who's one of the, the Storm part owners only a couple of weeks ago, came out and said that uh, he doesn't believe um, that he will play for the Storm again. And um, Harry Grant obviously is the incumbent, or the not incumbent, but the uh, the next in line. Um, and, uh, and Brandon Smith uh, as well, uh, equal stature in terms of uh, the expectations around his future. If I had to have a pick, I reckon he might just do what 
people are not expecting, and that is to have one more season. And uh, and I just wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see him sign up with the Titans or, or the Broncos and just go around for one or two more years. Uh, uh, he's a big Hawthorne fan in the AFL. I mentioned Luke Hodge earlier on in this discussion. He did something similar. So it's not uncommon for players to do that in the twilight of their career, especially when they've got nothing left to prove. So if I had to make a tip, Timbo, and uh, – and Shane, and uh, I am an occasional putting man, I would have a small wager on Cameron Smith to have at least one more season. Rob, I know you're across the NFL and we're heading into the pointy end of the season. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on the latest? Incredible final round of the NFL. We're now uh, a week out from the finals. Some great stories to come out of the, the final round. So uh, obviously uh, COVID has impacted the NFL like it has every other sport around the world. Uh, the two top teams who get the one buy. So the, there's been an expansion in the final scenario uh, and only one buy as opposed to four buys. Uh, Kansas City and uh, and Green Bay get the week off next week. Uh, but the big stories, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady in his first season, uh, taking them to uh, the finals. Uh, they play the Washington football team, the former Redskins. Anyone who's watched NFL will know that uh, that, that name, the Redskins, uh, was uh, one that the, the owners were very reluctant to, to, to lose. But they get into the finals off the back of a losing season, seven and nine. There were no less than three other teams who had better seasons than them. But because they won their own division, they go through. So the Tampa Bay-Washington uh, matchup is a big one. I always like watching the Buffalo Bills, the team that lost – four straight Super Bowls in the 90s. Um, They go up against the Colts. Seattle Seahawks versus the Rams on the first day closed that one out. Another big story though is the uh, the Cleveland Browns. So w- what a story that team has. Um, they had a, a mm. massive early success in, in their early days when Art Modell took over uh, uh, in the the 2000s. He wanted to move them to Baltimore. There was a mass insurrection of Cleveland fans. They managed to retire the name. He created the Baltimore Ravens and the Browns have not played finals football in 17 years. Uh, they go up against the Steelers. Uh, a quirky little one there. The only team who doesn't have their logo on their helmet, by the way, and the Browns, and named after Paul Brown, the founder, one of the founders of the club, if in case you were wondering, the Bears, Chicago Bears play New Orleans and the Baltimore Ravens against the Titans. So it's a massive, uh, a massive week of, of NFL. And, and Timmy and uh, and Shane, I, if I could just have an indulgence to finish off on the FA Cup weekend. So no Premier League football, lots of stories to tell though with, uh, with Premier League, the Manchester side's coming up. Arsenal, are they getting out of their slump? Chelsea, are they going to sack Frank? Lampard, but the big story for me this weekend is Marine. Uh, Marine FC play uh, Tottenham Hotspur in the third round of the FA Cup. There are eight divisions and 162 places separating these teams. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur pay four million dollars, four million pounds in wages every week. Marine a little over 1,700 pounds. So uh, <laughs> bigger underdogs than never was, 70 to 1 against the Spurs. And it's just a sad um, story that the, the Merseysiders, the little brothers of Liverpool, don't get to, to host crowds because of the COVID situation. Yeah, I love those FA Cup matchups. And it's interesting to see some of these sides who are who no one would know anything about any of the players who hold down jobs in butcher shops and play, you know, and they get the opportunity to play against Tottenham. It's quite extraordinary. Robbie, always good to chat. We'll be back on next week. Look forward to talking to you then, Timmy, Shane. Have a good week, boys. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Coming up next, Jaslyn Hewitt looks at the world of tennis. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. StumpToStump.com 
All right, it's time to talk tennis, and Jaslyn Hewitt is back in Sydney Town. Jazzy, how are you? Good, guys. How are you going? Jazz, it's all happening down in Melbourne now. The uh, the residents of the Western apartment block, uh, I think they're going to court today because of the influx of players that are going to be living, and they're all stating there's going to be unhealthy conditions for all the players you know, be, being in lockdown within their hotel. Yeah, so one of the quarantine hotels is going to be the Western. There's uh, numerous hotels, inclu- including the Crown uh, Casino down there, Albert on the Park, uh, the view there. So it is one hotel. It's disappointing to see that um, some local residents are in an uproar. I think they're, they're probably not looking at the broader scope of what the actual event can happen yeah. um, and help the Victorian economy more so. Uh, the Western do own, I think, 70% or um, the majority of the building. So that's where they're, they're having their uh, business and hotel running their corporate. And it, it's funny to think that they've got this far and they haven't actually negotiated with their current clients who are the owners or strata in there. So it, it is uh, disappointing to have this up, but there are another three or four hotels Craig Tiley's come out and said that any tennis player that does breach any of the quarantine guidelines will be fined uh, $20,000. The prize money has gone up this year significantly, especially for those uh, first-round players. So if you are losing the first round of the Australian Open this year, you get $100,000. The winner, though, this year is down by $2 million. So in 2020... Mm. The winner of uh, the Australian Open got over four and a half million. This year, they're just getting uh, above two million. So, significant pay drop for the winners and the finalists. However, a broader spread, just knowing that there aren't those lead up tournaments that the other players can earn their cash from. Jaslyn, it sounds like Robbie Shahadi's been building a, uh, a lovely little bird aviary where you are. Is there rainbow, rainbow <laughs> lorikeets and oh, budgies? And <laughs> yes, down by the creek here in. Uh, uh, lovely Parramatta, so... <laughs> oh, nothing nothing like a bit of the sound of the bird life. It, it, it gets it all going on a Tuesday. All right, let's talk about uh, Andy Murray. He's decided not to go to Florida. And, uh, you know, obviously when someone that's been through what he's been through, oh, no, he's injured again. But he's basically said that I don't want to go with the COVID risks that present itself there because I'm focused on this wild card that I've got for the Australian Open. Yeah, and there's going to be enough tournaments here in Australia in the lead-up for him to play and compete in. You're going to have the ATP Cup. Uh, It is a modified draw with uh, 12 countries in that. Um, there's many playing opportunities and I think with someone like him you look at Roger Federer how many tournaments they play they know the game they know how to play it's more the fact of getting their body right and making sure that they're in peak condition so anything that's going to harm that and by going over to the States it's probably going to jeopardise him slightly you put yourself at more risk visiting more countries it's just better he stays uh, over in Scotland and then comes directly to Australia in the bubble on the uh, 15th or 16th January. Jazza, what about, well, speaking of birds, what about this goose, Eon Tiriak? He's the Madrid Open Tournament Director in Spain, and um, he's come out and said Serena Williams is too old and too fat to be playing. She's a 23-time cha- um, champion. How embarrassing is that? Yeah, it's pretty disgraceful uh, yeah. to still have those comments coming coming out. 
Uh, she's a phenomenal athlete and her power game, you can see her movement around the court. If, if her weight was an issue, she wouldn't be winning these championships. Yeah. Every every play is different and you've got to maximise your uh, body shape. This is where, as a tennis coach, you like we have players running the beat test. Sometimes the beat test doesn't actually matter for a player because they're a big serve, big forehand. You know they're not going to be like an Alex Diminor or a Leighton where they're, they're running side to side all the time. So it really is different uh, body shapes for different styles of play. But uh, I think her track record actually yeah. shuts him up enough and she's still uh, going deep in a lot of the majors. You could say that a lot of the guys or Andy Murray's too old now, but he, he'll still prove himself. It's the same with Roger Federer. So I don't think it's up to the players when they want to stop. I agree. Hey, just quickly, um, what would it cost uh, an average player to, to, to run their own sort of team for the year? So they include their, their travel and their, their physio and their coach, what would the average cost per year be? I can get up near half a million depending wow. on how many. Well, it really depends at the level of player. So if you're yep. playing a pro a pro challenger event, so anywhere outside the top 100 events, you're going to be lucky to be able to afford your tennis coach, yet alone having a uh, – physical trainer, uh, physio coming on, you've got to rely on those resources. So Roger Federer, on the other hand, he'll be probably paying his coach around two, 300,000 plus bonuses if he does yep. well in tournaments. Um, then plus the physio, which would probably be another 150,000. Then you've got the wife, then you've got the kids um, and private jets or flights across the world yeah. playing 30 to on average 25 to 30 weeks tournaments a year. Um, so that's just not sustainable for players that are outside the top 100. So if okay. you are in the challenger level, you're lucky to be um, having your coach travel with you. And then it may only be for 10 weeks a year because you may need to pay them five to 10 grand a week. Um, so tennis yeah, coaches here in tennis coaches here in Sydney can charge anywhere between a hundred to $200 an hour. Gotcha. Um, so if you're taking them away on the road and they're missing out on their business, that's what you need to pay. So. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, we better get off the phone because uh, your husband, Rob's just about to take a bucket of seeds and grains <laughs> and millet and oats and uh, feed all those birds in the aviary. Jaslyn, always good to chat and uh, we'll tic-tac next week. Read tennis. Sounds good guys. Thanks Jazz. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you to our guests, Rob Gilbert and Jaslyn Hewitt. Thank you also to our sponsors, Spartan Sports, Shane. SpartanSportsHQ.com. And, of course, thank you to our producer, Dan McHugh, who is to podcast what Nicole Kidman is to acting. We'll be back tomorrow (laughs) afternoon. We'll see you then. We'll see you then, guys.